Well, when Stacy and I travel in the car together, uh, just the two of us, we often now uh, listen to books on Audible. Uh, that was especially easy uh, on trips, say, to Florida or to Arkansas when Barrett was in the school there. But even running back and forth to Nashville, you know, she'll say, what do you want to listen to? And one that we listened to in the last year or so was John Grisham's The Guardians. And the book gets its title from a non-profit ministry uh, in which... Uh, a, a woman raises funds and employs a group of lawyers. And uh, if you know anything about Grisham novels, he himself uh, was a lawyer for a time. And so that's what he primarily writes about in his books. Some aspect of uh, the, the legal profession. And so in this book, it centers around a uh, this a uh, non-profit ministry called the Guardians, and uh, called Guardian Ministries, actually. And, uh, and one of those lawyers that's employed is a guy named Cullen Post. And Cullen is a guy who went to law school, and then at some point, I think, kind of became disenchanted with the legal profession, and so then he went to seminary and became a minister. And then he felt called when he realized that there was a way that he could be an advocate and fight for someone. Uh, that he then he joined Guardian Ministries. And so what Guardian Ministries does, it's like a lot of these justice projects that you hear about today. That they look for cases where someone is wrongly convicted and then they work tirelessly to overturn those convictions. And so one of the, the cases that it centers around is a guy named Quincy Miller, a young black man that was uh, tried and convicted for killing a lawyer named Keith Russo. Russo was working in his office late one night and he was murdered. And so there were no witnesses, there was no weapon, there was no evidence. The detectives could find no motives, but when they looked through Russo's uh, client base, they came across Quincy Miller and somehow convinced themselves that this was the one who perpetrated this crime. And so he is tried and convicted in 1997 and then Cullen Post takes up his case uh, some years later. As a matter of fact, while well, I'm getting this mixed up with real life, forget the year. Oh, Quincy Miller, the, the character in the book, is, spends 22 years behind bars before he, his case is finally overturned. Someone who had been given a life sentence for a crime he did not commit. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a bit. But think about somebody spending 22 years behind bars for a crime that they did not even commit. And hold that thought, and we'll come back to that a bit later. But I want us to be thinking about this in terms of forgiveness. Because today we begin a three-week series on 
forgiveness. I mentioned when I what I sent out in, in on our group me app and and uh, and on Facebook, I think that when I explained that COVID protocols are going back in place and hopefully just for a few weeks, we'll lift them as soon as we think it's responsible to do so. But but thinking about forgiveness and the different aspects of forgiveness. And I wanted to start with our firm and deep understanding of how God forgives us. And so we're going to look at scriptures today that remind us very clearly of how God is so willing to forgive each and every one of us. And we begin in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. And don't we know, church, that even today He is still very near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on them. And to our God, for He will freely pardon. Isn't that good news, church family? That He will have mercy on those that turn to Him and that He is a God who freely pardons. And I want us to spend a little time Looking in Psalm 51, if you've reached for a, a blue hardback Bible in the P-Rex, it's page 888. But Psalm 51 begins, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now... Uh, some synonyms here for sin, transgressions, iniquity. Now, many of us, you know, even people outside of church use the term sin. They might say, oh, that person is just guilty as sin when talking about someone who committed some kind of wrong in some way. But, let's face it. Words like transgressions and iniquity are not part of our everyday vocabulary. If they're part of yours, well then yours is a little more highfalutin than the rest of us, right? But yeah, transgressions, iniquity, sin. When David writes these words to this song, he is doing so after he committed adultery with Bathsheba, And then finds out that he got her pregnant. And then we know the rest of the story, don't we, church? Makes arrangements to have her husband Uriah killed while in battle. And so he's got plenty of sin, transgression, and iniquity that's on him. And when he's confronted about that, he says... You know, I have sinned against God. He repents. And so he pens this psalm then. And we move down to verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach my transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Aren't those beautiful words, church? And we just sang a portion of those words. Just, Father, don't hold your spirit from me that created me a clean heart. And renew that spirit, Lord. Lord, I want to come back to you. I want to make it right. Please, Lord, forgive me. And what does the Lord do, church? The Lord forgives. 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is not darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Praise God, right church? That He will purify us from all unrighteousness. In the late 1970s, Uh, There was a little boy who was invited to vacation Bible school by his preacher. He's walking out the doors, uh, the back of of the church auditorium, and there's his preacher shaking hands with everybody, as preachers are known to do after a Sunday morning assembly. And the preacher says to this boy, uh, late elementary school age, says, uh, hey, you're coming to VBS starting tomorrow. And the boy looks up at the preacher and says, well, you know, where I used to live, I went to VBS, and I got to tell you, I didn't like it very much. And so the preacher just smiled and nodded and said, I understand. He said, but I hope you'll give ours a try. He says, I hope you'll come and see. And so uh, the boy did. Go And at the end of that week-long vacation Bible school, the, the preacher did a little magic show. And at one point in the magic show, he had this little uh, jar of water. And he pointed out, look, look how pure that water looks. Look how you can just look right, right through that. You know, how, how clean that is, how pure that looks. And then he got out this little bottle and he had a little medicine dropper and just with one drop of something, not even sure what that chemical was, but just one little drop, that whole jar of water turns black. Maybe some of you have seen a demonstration, something like this. But 
he mentions then, that's what sin does to us. That we're pure and then we sin. And look at that darkness. Look how dark that immediately becomes. And then he reaches for another bottle and he opens it up and there's another medicine dropper and he drops uh, a drop of something else in there. And then it neutralizes that dark ink looking stuff. And then all of a sudden, then it turns clear and pure once again. And then he says, and that's what the blood of Jesus does for us. And I got to tell you, church, it was at that moment that I was convicted. Because yes, I was the kid that looked at his preacher and said, I really don't want to come to vacation Bible school. <laughs> it's like, I just, you know, I, I just got enough, okay? I just got enough on Sunday morning. Coming Monday through Friday from 9 to noon, you know, I don't know about that, man. I did that in North Carolina, last place we lived. And, and, uh, but he said, hey, you know, give us a try. I got to tell you, you know, that church in Deckard, Tennessee... Uh, did it in a way that I appreciated it and I enjoyed going back. I enjoyed my grandmother coming and picking me up every day and taking me to vacation Bible school. And of course, I would see her later in the morning when it was snack time because, you know, there's nothing like church with snacks, right? And so, and so there, uh, that, that was the moment where I first realized I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. That was when I understood the blood of Christ. And unless you were asleep during Jesse's meditation on the table this morning, he's already outlined for us the good news of the gospel. I got to tell you, there was a point in which I thought, well, let's just... Offer the invitation and go home. You know, we've, we've heard what we need to hear this morning. But church, praise God that we turn to Him in these words in 1 John. Where He tells us, He reminds us, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, everyone is a sinner. There's a wonderful scene in the beginning of John chapter 8 where they bring to Jesus, where Jesus is, <clears throat> they bring him a woman who is caught in adultery. And they say, teacher, we caught her red-handed. This woman's been caught in adultery. So, what do you think we ought to do to her? And of course... They were challenging him because like many of the sins in Jewish law, that was one punishable by death. No different than uh, when Jesus is teaching about the prodigal sons because yeah, they're both prodigals in their own way. And that when he says that, you know, hey, there was this... There's a story and there's this younger son who goes to his dad and says, can I get my inheritance now? And disrespecting a parent at that, you know, in that way would have been 
punishable by death. And so here they are with this woman caught in adultery. And so how does Jesus respond? It's curious. Because he gets down and starts writing in the dirt. And wouldn't we like to have known what he was writing? John doesn't tell us that. Just that he bends over and starts writing in the dirt. And then he stands up. And he kind of looks at him as if to say, Y'all still here? And he says, I'll tell you, my paraphrase, I'll tell you, whoever here has never committed a sin, let them sling that first stone. He who is without sin can cast the first stone. And then what's he do? He gets back down and starts writing in the dirt again. And then John tells us that one by one, they leave. And so then he stands back up. And it's just him and the woman. Just the two of them. A sinner there with Jesus. Just the two of them. And he looks at her and says, Does no one condemn you? She says, Not one, sir. He says, Okay. Go. Don't do that anymore. That's the way, church. That's the way God forgives each and every one of us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter. In the eyes of God, the gossip is just as bad as the adultery. The lying is just as bad as the murder. And we have trouble wrapping our minds around a God like that. And that's why the title of this message is, Who is a God like you? Oh, but that's the way, church, that God is willing to forgive each and every one of us. And praise God that He is. Brian Stevenson lives and has for a long time in Montgomery, Alabama. Got to hear him speak uh, a few years ago at the Global Leadership Summit. And I mentioned him, I think, uh, the Sunday evening we gathered at the park for the church picnic. But he's an impressive guy and he has assembled a team of people who work tirelessly uh, to overturn wrongful con- convictions. Uh, his group is called the Equal Justice Initiative. And uh, several years ago, uh, Stevenson wrote a book called Just Mercy. And that book was made into a, a movie in 2019, just in the last few years. And uh, I mentioned John Grisham earlier. This is what John Grisham has to say uh, about Brian Stevens. He says, Not since Atticus Finch, and some of you may have read To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, not since Atticus Finch has a fearless and committed lawyer made such a difference in the American South. 
Though larger than life, Atticus exists only in fiction. Brian Stevenson, however, is very much alive and doing God's work, fighting for the poor, the oppressed, the voiceless, the vulnerable, the outcast, and those with no hope. Just Mercy is his inspiring and powerful story. In the book Just Mercy, he talks about a case, and this is where the year 1997 comes in. Uh, uh, a guy, uh, and his name escapes me now, uh, uh, a guy was on death row, not just a life conviction, but death row in Alabama. The guy's name was Walter McMillan. He was arrested in 1997, of course, never had any opportunity to, uh, for, for bail, and uh, and so, uh, you know, couldn't bond out. So the entire time he's awaiting trial, he's behind bars. And uh, there was so much evidence to show that this was not the right guy. And, of course, prosecutors, when, when they've won a case, when they've put what they think is the bad guy behind bars, they're going to work like crazy to make sure that that conviction is not overturned. And in the movie... It shows Brian Stevenson going to the guy's house, knocking on his door, the, the, uh, uh, the prosecuting attorney, the district attorney, and you know, pleading with him, saying, man, I, I, I think I know your heart, and I think I know that, that this, you know that he's innocent. And of course, the guy wouldn't admit to it there. And they finally go to their next hearing like a couple days later, and he's expecting this not to go well. But then, sure enough, the prosecutor at that moment says, the state will not object to this, Your Honor. And it's like everybody in the room kind of does a double take. And they're like, what? Seriously? And he says, the state is not going to object to this. And so this man who had spent six years on death row for a crime he did not commit, was exonerated. And, you know, it's, it's something to be here this morning and, and say, wow, you know, what, a, what an interesting story of a guy that 22 years behind bars or in real life, a guy six years behind bars. But here's the difference between them and us, church. They were convicted of something they didn't do. How many times have we not been convicted of something we did do? 1 John 1 made it clear. Anybody who says that, they've, that they're without sin, they deceive themselves. Elsewhere it says, you know, he who says he has no sin, he's a liar. Scripture not mincing words. That... No matter what we've done, we're sinners. We come here for the sacred Sunday morning gathering. And we know that we're not here because we're good enough. We're here because we will never be good enough. We are sinners saved by God's grace. Why? Because He is a God who is so willing to forgive. 
Acts 5, 29-32, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Let me set this up as I just failed to do, but put this into context. Some of the apostles are standing before uh, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, because they're upset that they're still out there long after Jesus was crucified. They're still out there talking about Jesus and people are coming to Jesus. And so he's saying, whom you killed, you Jewish leaders, by hanging him on a cross, verse 31 of Acts 5, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. And Micah 7.18, the inspiration for this morning's message title, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of His inheritance? You do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy. Who's a God like you? The question asks. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? In other words, who does this? Who is so willing to show mercy? Because... Mercy, church family, is defined as forgiveness for wrongdoing. It's a little different from grace in that aspect. Mercy is, you've done it, you're guilty, but I'm going to forgive you. And praise God for His mercy. Church family... That is the God we serve. That is the God we got out of bed this morning and and got here this morning to gather to worship. Not a God who's like us, who struggles to forgive. Not a God like us, who has long memories of what we've done. If we had continued to read Micah 7, it would have said... You hurl our iniquities into the depth of the sea. It actually says you trample them underfoot and then hurl them into the depth of the sea. In other words, he stomps on them, mashes them down, and then tosses them like a frisbee. And they go down, down, down in a place where they can never be found. The Christian author Corey Ten Boom, in commenting about that verse, said, and God puts up a sign that says no fishing. In other words, don't be dredging up the past. Don't go looking for stuff. God forgives it, and He throws it into the depth of the sea. The sea, church family, is very, very, very deep. Praise God that our God is so willing to forgive us. We will be talking about other aspects of forgiveness in the next couple of weeks. But let's leave here this morning, church, 
knowing that we, above all else, are a people who are forgiven.